Well, good morning, and uh, thank you for live streaming with us today, and I want to wish you a happy Memorial Day weekend. And uh, I feel pretty bad because I didn't have that in my notes, and that's just kind of the sign of the times that we're in. It's like this feels like just another weekend uh, because of the limitations of everything uh, that's going on in our lives. I know for us, we have a lot of uh, things in our family that's making this uh, quite a bit uh, different. And so um, that's just where we are. You know, today we were hopeful that we would be re-entering the church building with you. Uh, But plans change, and sometimes they change pretty fast. And so I wanted to let you know that I speak with Randy on the phone daily. I I communicated with him this morning, and I want to tell you that he is fine. And uh, his symptoms have always been pretty minor, and he's not really experiencing a whole lot of that now. It's gotten better. And uh, so he just wanted to tell you that he's okay, and he appreciates the prayers and uh, the comments that everybody's uh, made uh, so far. And so his quarantine ends pretty soon, but we've decided that we're going to hold off on reentering the church at least for a couple of weeks, and we're going to keep you posted uh, as best we can. We're going to communicate about what's happening and what our plans uh, are going to be. You know, when we learned about Randy's positive uh, test results, the leadership of the church, the reaction was pretty much the same. First and foremost, we wanted to make sure that Randy uh, can recover uh, comfortably and safely, and uh, we also wanted to make sure that we're protecting all of you, and so we decided uh, to just hold off on this reentry for just a little bit. You know, I said before, the church never stopped. Uh, because the doors were closed and it never will. And so let's continue to leverage what's going on uh, for the kingdom of God. And we're going to keep trying to do that. You know, it's been almost 10 weeks since this thing started. I mean, I really can't believe it's been that long. I know a lot of you are probably thinking it feels like it's been a whole lot longer than that. But, but it's been a long time since we, uh, since we decided to to hold off and shut the doors of the church for a little while. And, you know, a lot of things have happened since all this began. Uh, But I think it would be a gross understatement to say that people's opinions vary on the virus and on our response to it. Uh, I think you're crazy to think that there's not a whole lot of opinions out there. You know, some people believe this is the worst pandemic that we've had in 100 years. I ran into someone the other day who thinks this is the only pandemic that we've ever had. We've actually had three in the last 20 years. Some people think this is the biggest hoax that's ever been perpetrated on the public. And and some people think that this is a conspiracy by the right wing. And some people think this is a conspiracy by the left wing. I mean, it's all over the board. Some people think that we jumped on this way too fast. And some people think that we were way too slow. Some people think we should have shut things down a lot sooner, and other people think we shouldn't have shut it down at all. And now we're starting to argue that it's, it's too soon to reopen, and we're arguing that, well, we've got to get started right away. And so in this time of uncertainty, it's pretty clear that people, even though there's so many different varied opinions, everybody thinks they're right about it. Everybody's convinced of that. And so and that, that means that sometimes it gets, they get downright nasty about their opinions. And it seems like what we really need to learn, what we really need to function in these days is humility and not pride about what we believe. 
And you know, it doesn't help. It doesn't help at all because there's so many experts on TV, so many doctors, so many people that have so many different opinions and it's, they're spewing it at us every day. You know, for example, first masks were bad. We're not supposed to wear masks. Now it's downright necessary. You know, we were supposed to wear gloves originally and now we know they're useless. Hydroxychloroquine, good. Hydroxychloroquine, bad. You know, and there's so many opinions out there. And, and even on social, don't even get me started about social media. I mean, my goodness, there's just so much out there. What are we supposed to believe? I, I don't know. I can tell you I've got my opinions, but I'd be crazy to share them with you right now. <laughs> because some of you are going to agree with me, and some of you might get mad at me if I shared them with you. And so, folks, this, what I do know, what we, I think we can agree with, is all of this has created a pretty big mess. It's created a mess, and I have a feeling it might get worse before it starts to get better. As this country, as we start to open it up, there's a chance that we could have a spike in this virus. That could happen. But, folks, a lot of other things can really happen if we extend the shutdown too long. If we don't start easing restrictions, we're going to see people are going to suffer. They already have permanent job loss. That's happening in our world right now, and that could get worse. Businesses may fold. Some have. There's some places that have closed that will never reopen because of all this. Some people believe our economy could suffer um, damage, that, that this is going to create damage. Some people think that that damage could be permanent. We also know the statistics are there that alcoholism is on the rise, that drug overdoses are becoming a more commonplace, that people are suffering from anxiety and from depression. Those are very real things and very real concerns that need to be considered if we want to continue and extend this total lockdown. People are missing out on a lot of important things. I mean, they really are. I mean, sports. I mean, we probably take that for granted, but sports are important for people, and they're, not, they're non-existent right now. I have such a heart for high school seniors and college seniors this year. I have a niece who's a senior, and you know, they've worked so hard to work up to this day that, that I think is their carrot day. This is the day when, when people, they could walk across the stage with their family there, and they could recognize them for their achievements. And they can go home and they can have parties with their friends and their families. Folks, that's all out the window. And these drive-bys and the drop-offs, those are all great. But you know they can't really take the place of their special days. And what's even more heartbreaking is people can't even say goodbye to their loved ones that, that have passed. I mean, we're not allowed to have funerals. And so people's wishes are having to be changed and people are, are leaning towards cremations and waiting later for celebrations of life. Gosh, that's horrible. I can't imagine having to go through that as a family member. Weddings, weddings that have been planned for months, some, some maybe for years, are postponed. And, I, and family relationships, I'm sure, are starting to get a little bit strained. I'll bet there's parents out there that, that have felt like they wanted to kill their kids right now. And I'm, 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 I'm being serious, but not so much. But, but you'd be probably lying if you said you didn't actually think about it or threaten it, maybe. 
People, folks, are nervous. They're anxious. And in a lot of cases, people are afraid. And if we're really honest with ourselves, it's going to take years to get over the damage that's been created by this virus and by our fear and our anxiety about it. You know, Randy and I were talking the other day. We have, I think, is a legitimate concern about future church attendance and engagement in the church. And folks, one of the biggest concerns, one of the things I believe we really need to be concerned about are the disagreements that are going to crop up as we get out of this about what we're going to call post-COVID norms, social norms. I mean, think about it. How long is it going to be before you're willing to eat a piece of birthday cake that a kid blew his candles out on? I mean, think about that. You know, I was watching a, a health director from another part of the country who was lecturing on a, on a press conference about how, you know, we don't need to touch her face, and she licked her thumb and turned the page. How much pause is that going to give us when we see that kind of stuff now as we go out of this uh, time that we're in? You know, Dr. Fauci made a comment a few months ago that we should never, ever shake hands again. Boy, I hope that's not going to be the case, but how long is it going to be until we're comfortable doing that again? I heard someone say that grandparents shouldn't hug their grandkids for another two years. I know what grandparents are like, and I think that's probably not going to happen, but, but that's the kind of things that we're dealing with right now. You know, people are going to argue about this. And Satan is going to use this, when people's feelings get hurt, Satan is going to use this to divide us even further than this country is divided already. You know, I think it's kind of crazy, but the statistics say that the, the positions on COVID and the responses, it's divided right down party lines between Republicans and Democrats. And, and that's telling for our society today. See, in a lot of cases, I don't think our our party affiliation has anything to do with what we believe because in our culture we tend uh, what we believe tends to depend on our party affiliation see it's kind of backwards our affiliations shape our worldview instead of the other way around we pick our sides and we go to battle and the world teaches us it teaches us to to take no prisoners prisoners and offer no quarter and to destroy the people that disagree with us that's what we're told. That's what we're taught in our world today. But folks, there's a word. If we want peace and civility as we go forward into this new world that we're going to start venturing into, there's one word that we're going to have to get our head wrapped around. And that word is grace. That word is grace. It's disappointing to me that we weren't able to re-enter the church today. But maybe it's God's way of helping us learn how to, how, to, how to give grace. Maybe He's given us just a little bit more time to prepare to offer grace to one another when we come into the church. I live-streamed a walkthrough uh, last Thursday before we learned about Randy's diagnosis. And if you watch that, you would have seen that this place is going to look a little different when you get here. There are going to be things that we, we're doing that I know are going to be inconvenient. There's going to be things that you're going to think are unnecessary. You know, we want to try and follow these guidelines as best we can, not because we just agree with everybody, but because your safety and your comfort is our first uh, concern. 
But if Satan has his way, when we come together, people are going to be throwing stones at each other from all sides. That, that's a possibility. And so some people are going to call cautious people lemmings and sheep. And some people are going to call confident people, they're going to call them reckless and careless and uncaring. This is a difficult time uh, for sure. But maybe we can leverage our experiences here to counter the culture in our world that's divided us long before we knew the word COVID existed. Maybe we can do that. We, we can learn to offer grace to one another. Not just in this moment, but from now on. We can make that a part of our normal lives. And so there's a couple of things that we need to acknowledge as we prepare for this post-COVID world that we're going to enter into. Folks, we are going to be different. We're going to think differently about things. You know, a good example of that is the staff of your church. You know, we think differently. You're really naive if you think that all of the staff, that we're just in lockstep with each other, and we agree 100% of the time, just because we're ministers. I'm sure you're tempted to think that way, but you're wrong. We don't think that way. We have different thoughts. We have different actions that follow. We come from pretty diverse backgrounds. Randy says that we have rule followers, and we have rule flaunters, and that we have people that are obsessive, and then we have people that are a little indifferent. Now, most of you that know all of us, I'll let you figure out who's which. But, but that's the makeup of our staff, and I'm sure that's true of any staff. We approach things differently from one degree or another, but, but in the end, I thoroughly believe that we value each other's opinions. We navigate through our differences as best as we can. You know, I love the people that I work with. I love our staff. We've learned to develop a sensitivity towards one another. And we've developed an understanding. And maybe it's not that way all the time. Maybe we, we argue, sometimes we even bicker, but we find graceful ways of working together for the benefit of the church. We're different, and we have to acknowledge that. You know, there's a few profiles that we can uh, look at that can identify where we are in this, this COVID thing. Uh, the first one is this. There's the cautious. Now, the cautious person uh, is, wants to follow the CDC and the governor's guidelines to the T. And if that's you, if you're the cautious person, you probably never miss Andy talking at five. You probably listen to him with bated breath. You know, you're going to be very conservative about your re-entry into the church world, and you probably have good reasons for that. Maybe you're in the demographic where you're most vulnerable to this virus. Maybe there's underlying conditions or it's your age. Or maybe you're just spooked and you're just nervous about all of this. And you know, you might delay coming back to the church when we finally get started. But you know what? That's okay. We understand, and we're not going to judge you based on that. So that's the cautious. Then there's the confident. Now, if you're confident, you may refuse to wear a mask. Uh, Maybe you haven't gone out of your way to limit time with people. Maybe that's you. You know, you obey the law, but you're not really going out of your way with precautions. And you might even think that this whole thing is just overblown. And you know what? That's okay too. We understand. 
We understand. And then maybe you're a little bit of both. Maybe you're kasha dent. Now, I know that's not a word. We made that up. But maybe you're a little bit of the both. Maybe you find yourself worried about a little bit of everything. You know, you're worried about the virus. But you're also worried about the repercussions of keeping the country shut down for too long. You're fearful of contracting COVID, but you're wondering, when can we get back to work? What am I going to do with my kids when there's no school? Or maybe you're a little bit concerned to the extent that our freedoms have been kind of taken away about what kind of precedent that sets. And I'm going to be perfectly candid with you, that's me. I fall in that category. I'm a little worried about all of this. But that's okay. We understand that. You know, before I said it's, it's that we're going to be different. Well, the second thing we need to acknowledge is that it's okay to be different. We're all going to be that way. We're going to have a temptation to criticize other people that aren't like us, that don't have the same opinions that we do. We're going to criticize people for being too confident, for kind of setting aside wisdom in, in deference to uh, carelessness. People are going to be cr criticized because of that. They're going to be criticized... Um, for being too cautious. That's going to happen. And things are going to get nasty. Things have the potential to do that. There's fights going on all around us in our country right now over this. One extreme example is a Pentecostal church in Mississippi. Not long ago, they were having a drive-in service and the weather got bad and they invited their people to come into the building. I think 20 or 40, I, I don't know for sure, went into the building. And this caught the ire of the local officials. And I think they actually cited the church. I'm not sure if they cited the individuals. And then the church, uh, in response, they sued the government because they felt they were limiting their religious freedom. Now, whatever you believe on that is not important, but what is important is that last week that church burned to the ground. There was an explosion. It was arson. And someone spray-painted on the parking lot something that said something like this, I guess you'll stay home now, you hypocrites. And you know what? I know that person's probably not watching, but I want to say this anyway. If you're going to call somebody a hypocrite, at least spell it right. It doesn't give you a whole lot of credibility. Folks, that's an extreme example, but that's what things can lead to if we don't start with grace. It's what they can lead to. That's, that's why we need to learn not just to tolerate each other, but to embrace our differences. Embrace our differences. We need to respect each other. We need to acknowledge that we can learn and we can grow from one another. Paul said this, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bear with one another in love. Submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. It's okay to be different. I believe God made us that way. He made us all unique. You know, I mentioned how we're different as a staff. Could you imagine how boring it would be if we agreed with everything all the time and how bad that would be for the church? How we would never learn to grow and by if we weren't challenging one another. I mean, that would be a shame if, if we agreed with everything. In that respect, I thank God for our differences. And we need to embrace that. We need to be thankful that God built us differently. You know, the third thing we need to acknowledge, folks, and I think this is the big one. Attitude is what really counts. 
Attitude counts. There's been, I don't think there's been a time in my life when I've had so little control over the things that are going on around me. I'm honest, I honestly don't remember that. There's the virus I can't control. There's a shutdown. I can't do anything about it. I can't even find toilet paper. I mean, this is, this is the time of my life that I've got little control. I can complain about it, but I can't change any of it. That's where we are right now. But there's one thing that we can control, and that's our attitude about all of it. We can do that. Paul called it a state, or a state of mind or a mindset. He said, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking, the very, taking on the very nature of a, star, of a servant, being in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Jesus' attitude was to put other, others first. In the verses just before this, Paul said, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking for your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. You know, I'm going to share with you, and I'm going to be perfectly honest with you, I have not liked the idea of wearing a mask. I'm just being honest. I haven't liked it. For one thing, my glasses fog up immediately. And you do not want to be on the same road with me when I take my glasses off. I see pretty good with my glasses on, but I'm as blind as the bat that started this whole mess when I don't have them on. So you don't want to be on the road with me without my glasses. You know, I've also been a little conflicted about all the information that's been going on about masks, about how initially I said they were useless, now they're important. You know, I saw a tweet this morning, and Alyssa Milano was wearing a mask, and she said, uh, you know, masks keep people safe, but her mask was crocheted. And so they, somebody retweeted, it's like, yeah, it's safe as long as the COVID spores are no bigger than a grain of rice. And so, you know, I think that maybe her mask might not be all that effective. I don't know why I shared that. It was just too rich not to. My personal belief um, that people should be wearing a mask, my personal belief is, is, was a lot different before all this happened. And, you know, my perspective changed a little bit. And Randy helped me with that. First, by offering his perspective that he'll wear one for the comfort of other people, if, if nothing else. But I'll tell you, when you know somebody that has the virus, your perspective will change. And so maybe that's the way we need to look at this. We need to look at it as if our best friends have this virus. So I agree with Randy's perspective. Even if I think they're more nuisance than help, even if I'm right about that, if it brings comfort to the people around me, then it's worth wearing one. You know, I, I hate to being told to wear a mask. I honestly think if the governor had, had come out and encouraged us to do it the right thing instead of coming out and just saying it's a mandate, I think more people would be wearing them. I honestly believe that. But you know what? If, you, if you're not wearing one because you don't want to be told to wear one, then just change your attitude about it. Wear one because you want to. So I'm going to. I'm going to wear those masks for the people around me. Honestly, when it comes down to it, I think it's a simple and a pretty painless way to show grace 
to my brothers and my sisters. There's some attitudes I think that we can adopt that are going to help us navigate these differing opinions about what's coming up, about reopening the society and re-entering the church. The first one is this, optimistic and confident people are a blessing in my life. If that's the way we think, things are going to be a whole lot better. That person who's overly optimistic is not going to be a nuisance to you. You know, I have a friend, his name is Sean, and he doesn't even live in this state. He lives in Kansas. I met him uh, through some conferences and stuff that I went through. And, you know, he was the type of personality, and you probably have people, depending on what your personalities are, you have people that when you first meet them, you think, this person is annoying. And, you know, when I first met Sean, that's kind of what I thought. But then when I got to know him, what I learned is Sean is one of the most optimistic and confident people that I know. And he is a true blessing in my life. We're actually doing some ministry together. He's invited me into that. We need people like that in our lives. We need good friends who are encouragers and who are good life coaches. People that are confident and are a blessing in our life. Next, here's the next attitude. (coughs) Excuse me. Cautious people are a blessing in my life. They keep us sensitive to the needs of others around us. They really do. Randy is just such a person. You know, I can go to Randy fired up about somebody or some issue, and he always does the same thing. He points me towards grace. Regardless of whether he agrees with me or not, he points me towards grace. I need someone that like that in my life. The next attitude is this. Different gifts and approaches make us more effective. And I hope I never get to the point where I feel like I've learned enough. That I've got nothing else to learn. You know, I told you before, as a a staff, sometimes we frustrate each other. But our diversity, especially under Randy's leadership, most always brings out the best result. The fourth one, the fourth attitude... People matter more than my opinion. Remember that. There's no bigger truth. It's our opinions that polarize us. It's our our thought process that does that. We tend to criticize people pretty harshly that are on the other side of our belief system and ideas. But people are more important than their politics and their opinions. I've come to believe that. You don't have to agree with people. To extend them grace. You don't have to do that. Christians have always disagreed with things. And they've always had to make concessions for one another. It goes all the way back to the first church. Paul said, Accept the ones whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God accepted them. Who are you to judge someone's servant? It's easy for us to accuse one another that we disagree with of spiritual weakness. Happens quite a lot. The Bible said that we should respect the weaker brother, and do nothing to discourage them. The cultural discourse among Christians now is to accuse the ones that disagree with us of being less Christians. 
And that's just not the case. We need to avoid that. We need to show grace. Even when the issue is not even one of opinion. We have a biblical mandate. We still need to show grace and civility where we disagree. Jesus said, You have heard that it said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good, and He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who you love, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brother, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The perfection of God that Jesus is talking about is the love of your enemy. To be perfect is to love your enemies. I know that's hard. I know that sounds almost impossible, but that's, don't take my word for it. Listen to what Jesus said. I used to really concern myself about winning political debates in our community. That used to be important. I used to probably call that my calling. Whether I was right or wrong or won or lost, it doesn't matter. See, I believed in the past that the world would be in danger if my political theology wasn't um, forwarded, if my candidate lost. I thought the world would be in danger. There's times in the past when I stood at podiums in the public and I denounced ideas. And when I did that, God taught me a lesson, a valuable one. When I did that, I was preoccupying myself with what I wanted and not God's will. I was promoting Tony, not God. I need to be more focused on loving my neighbor than defeating them. My neighbor isn't defined as the people that agree with my point of view. Our neighbors are everyone. And you know, some of these people deny the plain truth of God. That doesn't make them your foe. That makes them lost. Jesus came to seek and save that was lost, and He's told us that we need to continue in His ministry. That's our job. Jesus offered friendship to the most hated people in society. The Samaritans. Just, just look at the Samaritans. The Jews wouldn't even pass near their towns. They wouldn't get near them, let alone talk to them. But Jesus befriended the Samaritans. The Jews called them half-breeds and heretics, and Jesus called them friends. Was, were the Jews right about the Samaritans? Yes. They were what they called them. That They were heretics, there's no doubt about it. Even Jesus acknowledged that in His discourse to the Samaritan woman at the well. But Jesus offered them love through friendship. Jesus didn't hate them. Then there's the tax collectors. Zacchaeus, the chief of all scumbags. I mean, he was the worst of the bunch. People hated this guy. They hated him. Were, were they right about Zacchaeus and the things that he did? Absolutely. He took advantage of God's people. He ripped them off. He made poor people even more poor. But Jesus sat at his table in friendship. Jesus never condoned the actions of these folks. In fact, he never shied away from confronting them. 
Read it for yourself. He always did. But he did something that these people never expected. He befriended them. And it changed the way they, they, they looked at the world. See, he belie- they, they believed that because of his friendship, they believed in him because of that. That's the reason they came to Christ. See, we can't hold, withhold friendship from people that don't agree with us. That's not God's plan. If we stand a chance of them accepting God's promise, we need to build a relationship of love and integrity with them. I think it'd be really hard for people to accept a gospel of love and compassion if we don't offer love and compassion for them. I think it'd be really hard for them to buy it. There's one vital thing, folks, that we have to do related to all of this. We have to choose love. We've got to choose love. I hope when this crisis is all over, there's going to be a real evaluation of what's gone on. And I'm sure they're going to find out that a lot of these things were the right thing to do. I'm positive they're going to find out a lot of things that were wrong. And I hope that we can learn from that. Studies are going to be done. Books are going to be written about it. But for now, we need to give people the benefit of the doubt. We need to believe the best in people and not assume the worst when we're dealing with these differences that we have. Paul said, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. And he followed up with this, and he said, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Love is the greatest expression of our faith. It's the most important thing that we can do. Jesus said that the world's going to recognize us as his disciples by the love that we show one another. He said our love for people should be equal to the love that we have for God. It's that simple. It's the greatest thing we can do. When the lost around us experience our love, just like in the first church, it's going to rock their world because it's going to be so countercultural. Maybe this time is going to give us the best opportunity to show the world, of the, lo- the world the love of Jesus, this world that's so polarized. Maybe this is the best opportunity for us to do that. Maybe the, the, the need for him is going to be felt more than it's ever been felt through all of this chaos. And let's choose to approach each other with love as we walk towards re-entering the church building. Let's never forget that. Not long from now, all this is going to be a thing of the past. But the love that we build right now is going to last forever. Long after this word COVID fades from our language and from our lips.